0: I come to clean and it always looks like people been fighting in there. Furniture broke, things tipped over, I'm sorry, but I quit.
1: Welcome to 200 A Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta, And I'm Epidio Ravishaw. And we are coming to you after a impromptu month off of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we generally have done that in the winter but uh just how things kind of fell out this year things got a little chaotic at the end of august there was some covid (laughs) there were some vacations little vacation yeah and uh everyone's okay now i think right yeah yeah i think everyone is uh so it was just much easier for us to just take the month off and deal with our own stuff and come back strong for our uh for for the fall yeah so we need to remember how to do the show Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm I also am in the last stages of a, as far as I know, non-COVID-related cold, so I may be a little sounding not great um, or sniffly. I apologize for that. So here we are.
2: I have not been doing my vocal exercises, <laughs> so I might be a little out of practice.
1: For this episode, we are going. we are going back to Season 1, Episode 18, Say Goodbye to Jennifer. Mm-mm. But before we talk about the episode, Epi noticed the blinking light on our answering machine has, yeah. uh, has, has been going this entire month while uh, while we've been out of the <laughs> office. So we should go ahead and see what's sitting on that.
2: OK, so the bit the answering machine bit is usually somebody contacting us directly about um, something uh, Rockford Files related or podcast related L-
1: listener feedback. Yeah, listener feedback. Uh,
2: in this case, uh, this is from a listener, but it wasn't directed exactly at us, but it was put within my... Okay, so so uh, a listener uh, mm. questioned on social media and then wrote up a blog post. And this question I want to present to you, mm. Nathan, uh, because I think it's a fascinating Rockford Files question. And yes. this question is, who pardoned Jim Rockford?
1: It is a great question. I'm familiar with the question because... Uh, Shannon is a patron and posted this. Okay, so
2: this, we both brought the same.
1: Yes, on (laughs) on the Patreon. So there's a community page on the Patreon, something like that. Member member posts. I think that's going away soon. I saw something in an email from Patreon that's basically like no one uses these, so we're taking them away. Oh, no, don't Google! <laughs> don't don't pull the Google. <laughs> uh, I could be wrong about that, but yes, Shannon did post this in the member post area of our Patreon so, as well. Is this exactly what you were going to bring? Yes.
2: Okay, great. This is. I thought there might be like a gift of the magi magi thing <laughs> going on here, but um, let's talk about this because this is this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. In the show notes, we'll put a link to Shannon's uh, blog post. Uh, where he goes into depth about his decision about this, but so so the question is like, who is the governor that pardons Jim Rockford?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like they don't specifically mention in the show that any of us involved in this conversation ha- have managed to, you know, yet listeners, if you if if it does come up at some point, something definitive, please share with us. But there's this timeline, right? We know that Jim was convicted uh and then we know that jim jim has a parole off or had a parole officer at some point so he was probably on parole at some point uh but then he was uh pardoned and Mm -hmm. then somewhere in all that either before Probably before, but maybe after, he went to Korea and served in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's also all the stuff that Jim would have had to have done to become a PI, uh, to kind of establish himself in the way he's established when the series starts. So we right. have this like history here for Jim, and we look at like who amongst the governors of California during <laughs> that time mm-hmm. are likely and. Ed- I guess the thing, one of the things that makes this most intriguing is that Ronald Reagan <laughs> was was uh, mm. the governor from what is it, uh, sixty seven to seventy five, right? So that would have gone right up to when's the first
1: episode of the Rockford Files? It, it debuts in seventy four in the fall of seventy four. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So if the pardon was recent enough mm-hmm. within the seven years, then uh, then it could be Ronald Reagan, which is weird. You know, obviously Ronald Reagan was the Republican governor. Not Republicans not known for being lenient on um. You know, I shouldn't say criminals. People mm-hmm. people who've been put in jail. <laughs> and uh, also funny because Gardner and Reagan, I think they both. Like there, this whole thing that came out about the um, the last actor strike was mm-hmm. when Reagan was uh, president of the actors' union, which again feels ironic because Reagan right. did all this work against the unions. But Gardner was the secretary or mm. something like that. Like he was high up and involved. Probably- probably likely that Gardner was like, we're going on strike. (laughs) Anyways, so there's, you know, they knew each other, obviously, they probably, they clearly didn't agree politically. I don't think, uh, Jim would have agreed with Reagan, uh, 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 sorry, Jim Rockford, Mm. not Jim, James Gardner, but Jim Rockford would, although, like, Rocky might have voted for Reagan. That feels like a very
1: rocky (laughs) thing to do. I feel like that does feel like a rocky thing to do, yeah.
2: Anyways, but there are other governors in here. Uh, Shannon's uh, favorite, uh, is Pat Brown, which Mm -hmm. was the Democrat from, uh, 59 to 67. Um, there are some long shots in there, including Goodwin Knight, uh, from 53 to 59, which, like, maybe before he went to korea
0: mm-hmm.
2: like i said we'll put the link here it's a great blog post it's not terribly long but it's full of good information to think about like where does he how does this all say and it ends and i think this is like the mm-hmm. fun bit jim's not a real he's fictional right there could be this fictional governor of california that could right could have done it like i i don't know if there were any fictional there were definitely fictional like football players it, like there's fictional celebrities mm. that appear throughout the Rockford Files.
1: There's occasional cameo. There was uh, Dick Butkus had a cameo. Right. In, that's one, right yes. uh, in one episode. That's the only one that comes to mind of a, like, playing themselves cameo. And that's, yeah. a, you know, a football player. Um, yeah. The, the show's actually pretty circumspect about, I mean, it references real life things like the trucker strike, right? Like from yeah. jammers, we talked about that.
2: And the, the movie, the first movie in the nineties yeah. was almost like a whole verse from we didn't start the fire. Right. Like, <laughs> right, just... <laughs> right yeah.
1: like here's all the things going on. So it's certainly situated in like our actual world, but in terms of personalities, yeah, I think circumspect in the way of, we just don't need to deal with this. It just doesn't need yeah. to be part of the show yeah. of like who the actual governor is right now like even like the police commissioner or something yeah, you never yeah. hear that person's name like you meet a captain or a precinct yeah you know <laughs> you know uh, the leader leader or something um but they don't refer to like they don't refer to presidents by name yeah uh that kind of stuff probably for this reason like a it doesn't matter and b it's set in our real world, but they are fictional characters. So that's <laughs> that's one way of keeping of keeping those things discreet. I've been listening recently to a a podcast called The Fraser Files, oh. which is by friend <laughs> friend of friend of mine for sure. I'm, I feel like he's a friend of the show, um, uh, Stephen Winchell, who was my co creator on the One More, one thing, more thing game. Uh, he's a big Fraser head. <laughs> uh, so The Fraser Files is a a deep dive into the continuity of the character of Fraser, through the character of this like disaffected, uh, kind of midlife crisis um, professor. His marriage is over, and he's on the down. We, you hear all his biographical details about him as he's talking about the show or whatever. But anyway, the thrust of the show is like, if we treat everything we see on TV as canonical, what is the life of Fraser and like going right. through it from kind of beat to beat. And he hits these points where he's like, okay, so here I have to make a call because the writers of the show clearly didn't either didn't care or like, yeah, one writer wrote this one and one writer wrote that one. And no one ever tracks this stuff. Was Fraser born in whatever 53 or 55? Like, yeah. It's, it's stated it could be either, either of them. I'm choosing this one. Cause it's more interesting. And then, and it also gets into like, you know, this character appears as himself. So, does that mean that in the world of Frazier, yeah. this real person, you know, because there's cameos on Cheers and stuff, right? So, like, yeah, yeah. you know, this person exists, but if this person exists in the world of Frazier, why doesn't this happen? And then, you know, the character doing the podcast is like, see, this is the problem with TV. <laughs> You can't trust any of the combination of the fictional and the non-fictional. Like, you know, I I know someone wrote it all, but still, why do you bring in the real people then? Like all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's a bugaboo for that character in this kind of comedic take on looking at a a show, seriously. Uh, Which is neither here nor there. It's just The Rockford Files manages to do a good job and running around that question.
2: I think there's a loop with Cheers Sam Malone, played by, uh, oh, man, um, Ted Danson. Ted Danson plays himself in, in, like, maybe a Golden Girls, but also, like, there's some connection where they get to Becker, the where... Ted Danson is the titular Becker, a doctor or something like Mm -hmm. that. That's somehow related to like Golden Palace, the spinoff from Golden Girls. But anyways, the point is that Ted Danson would exist in the same universe as as Dr. Becker and um, And Sam Malone, Sam Malone. yeah. Yeah. And which is great. That's a lovely I think I think there is. I don't know. Check the internet. The
1: internet knows. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Well, getting back to uh Shannon's comment here. Um, I, I do like the the idea of, of head headcanoning that Earl Warren, yes. future justice, governor from forty five to fifty three, headcanoning that a pre Korea Rockford is yeah, you know, went to went to jail and then got a pardon. Which is kind of a fun thought just because we know that the you know, he got up to antics in Korea, right? Like yeah. the same kinds of things that he went to to prison for. I kind of feel like triangulating from the other people, his other ex con buddies. Mm-hmm. I feel like it doesn't seem like they're that old. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, I could be wrong. The work can be done on this. Two things I love about this question and the post that follows it. Um, Like one, it just, it broke my brain for the morning when I thought Reagan had to have been the governor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but then, too, it just brings up some of the wonderful background to this character. Uh, the antics he got up to in Korea that, that come up again. Uh, Korea it gave him a healthy distrust of authority, I feel like. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a thing that, that has kind of come out of that. But also, like, yeah, he used to run, like, black market things yeah. going on there.
1: Stole a tank once.
2: Yeah, stole a tank once. And I have always assumed that he went into prison after he got out of yeah. Korea. But then I don't think there's any text that tells me that that's mm. the case.
1: Well, maybe we'll keep our keep our eagle eyes out going forward. Yeah. Uh, but then, like, you know, he's got
2: the prison experience. But then, as Shannon points out, uh, he's a pretty comfortable hero because not only is he out of prison now, but he's he didn't have to be reformed. He wasn't guilty in the first place. Right. So he was pardoned, right? Uh, we don't ever really find out what he went to prison for or what, like...
1: I don't th- I think it's implied a couple times, but yeah, you know, some kind of fraud beef. Yeah, right? and we know that he did run cons. Right, exactly. He has the skills.
2: He's got the skills, he knows about them, and he's clearly done some with Angel in the past. Like, he's got a connection to, like, there's um, a one in every port, I think is, yeah. like, a great one for, for that history. Um, and then it also kind of presents this, great like origin story for the the pi part because and this again isn't text this is just something you could read into it where he was paroled Right. He has a parole officer. We've met his former parole Mm -hmm. officer. Yes. Goes to prison for a crime. He didn't commit like the 18. But instead of escaping like the 18, he gets paroled. How does he prove his innocence? Right. We don't know for certain. But like this is this is a fun origin story of how he gets the the P.I. bite. Right. Like how he gets like bit by the P.I. bug. I mean, like he's 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 like, I'm enjoying this investigating thing. I can put these skills to a good use.
1: And I also don't have to be answerable to anybody. Which yeah, I think is also key for yeah. for the character. Yeah, no, it's a, a a fun rabbit hole to go down. Thank you, Shannon, for sending that through through social media and through the yeah. soon to be <laughs> defunct <laughs> defunct um, member post area. And relevant to this episode, yeah, yeah, <laughs> foreshadowing. We'll get to some Korea stuff in this episode, so that is also also a good one. There have been a couple other little pieces of feedback uh, or, or little uh, kudos that we've received recently from listeners. Uh, again, it's kind of during our downtime, so I did not really do a good job collating them. But if mm-hmm. you sent us something in the last, uh, you know, since since early August, if, yeah. <laughs> from whenever you hear this, if you sent us something mm-hmm. since early August, uh, we did see it, we do appreciate it. I did not have it together to bring it um, into our our answering machine for this episode, but uh we hear you and thank you
2: yeah, thank you as a as a creator upon this <laughs> earth <laughs> through this internet. It's always like I, I don't think people until they're in the spot realize just like the little notes keep you moving forward mm. in ways that like, you know,
1: yeah, I think it, we got like a five-star review with a nice, with a nice comment. So like that was yeah. really nice. I poured that onto you behind the curtain here. I, you know, I kind of am the, the, the contact person for all of our stuff. Mm. So whenever you submit something or send an email or whatever, I see it. And then I will forward stuff to Epi as, as needed. Um, cause I don't, I don't want to give you too much to so have to worry about, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, When we get a nice note, uh, I do share that so that all of us here at 200 a day HQ uh, get get a little little nice momentum from those nice comments. So thank you. All right. All right. We are getting back to it. There's a tiny bit of connection with some of our recent episodes in that this is a episode with a woman's name in the title. So yeah. <laughs> that gets to go into the the pantheon of uh, mm-hmm. of episodes that we can't quite keep distinct in our minds because they all have women's names in the title. Yeah. This one, I think, will stand out, though, actually. I think mm-hmm. this was mm-hmm. I was actually a little surprised with how uh, how much was going on in this episode. But this was your pick. So, yeah. uh, Epi, why did you pick season one, episode eighteen? Say goodbye to Jennifer.
2: Well, I I followed um, late stage two hundred a day, where <laughs> we're we're running out of episodes to watch. We joked about like I wanted to do a spooky one because it yeah it, like tomorrow is October yeah right. <laughs> then I realized like. You know, there's no real, there's no Halloween episode of Rock Profiles that I, I'm aware of. There's no real spooky ones, which is great. I mean, that's fine. You don't always have to have a spooky. But there are some of the, some darker ones. And then I realized in my head that those were all season one. So I went to season one. <laughs> yeah. And so this had the spookiest title yeah. in season one. And then I opened up the IMDb and uh, I saw our good friends Hector Elizondo. Mm-hmm. And Ken Swafford.
1: Yeah. And I was
2: like, yeah, why not? Let's mm-hmm. do it.
1: Yeah, definitely show favorites. Uh Hector Elizondo, we talked a lot about in his kind of starring episode, breeze Turkey. Freeze uh, Turkey. Yeah. Oh. Uh, a good clean bust with sequel rights.
2: That's it. Yeah, no wonder we didn't remember the it's a good name. It's just yeah. not one that trips off the tongue.
1: Our episode eighty. Um, yeah, so this is his other, uh, Rockford Files appearance. I think there's just the two that he did.
2: Got a wrap on, on Hector here.
1: And I think possibly a wrap on Ken.
2: Five episodes. We had, he was in the Aaron Ironwood school of success as FBI agent Patrick. Hmm. He was in the family hour as DEA agent Al Jolette. He was in the Queen of Peru as the immortal Carl Ronco Mm -hmm. standout role for him. Uh, And then, of course, he was Captain John Howling Mad Smith in the Hawaiian Headache.
1: Yeah. So this is his final appearance for us as well, though I think his first appearance.
2: First appearance. Yeah. He has one in every season but five, which is a shame. They should have stuck him in.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He's a, a great, great character actor and he has a fun character in this one, too.
2: Yeah. This is a PI that he plays mm-hmm. in this, and I thought clearly he's played this in a later Rockford Files episode that Rockford ends hmm. up
1: having to deal with another PI yeah. now. Yeah, but, but it's in Seattle, it's not in LA, so
2: Yeah, exactly. He's out of town.
1: Um this one is written uh, by so it's story by Roy Huggins, uh, credited as John Thomas James, as was his want. Uh teleplay by Juanita Bartlett and Rudolph Borchert. who uh, was involved with multiple teleplays.
2: He did five episodes of the Rockford Files, it looks like. He did five episodes of Cold Trek as well.
1: So he did this teleplay. He also uh, wrote Good Clean Bust with sequel rights. Yeah. And um, he also did the teleplay for the final, for the finale for Deadlock and Parma. Directed by? Directed by Jackie Cooper. Yeah. So this is the third of the five that he directed. And we have done, this is the fourth of his that we've watched. So maybe our next episode could be finishing off the Jackie Cooper episodes.
2: So he's interesting because he's also.
1: He's also appeared in the show
2: yeah yeah we've done both of those Mm -hmm. we did the other one recently right claire
1: Mm -hmm. also jackie cooper and ken swafford both appear in a columbo from around this time the (laughs) one where jackie cooper is the senator and he kills ken swafford who's his campaign manager yes that's a good one another one of my favorite jackie cooper appearances
2: uh the directing in this one is really interesting it is yeah we're in season one, and it's going to be. I mean, oftentimes, we characterize this as they're finding their footing, but I think it's more of I don't want to disparage either side of this coin here. So we could say they're either finding their footing or the Rockford Files hasn't calcified yet.
1: <laughs> uh, maybe it hasn't solidified yet.
2: Solidified, yeah. That's, that's better. Um, we'll get to it when we get to it. But um, this one felt more like a noir yes then Mm -hmm. then the rockford files uh later stuff once the rockford files has a personality all of its own Mm -hmm. and the filming in it was delightfully experimental i think Mm -hmm. and again it feels a little bit like well we don't know exactly what this show is yet so maybe it's this like this the beginning well let's do the opening montage then we can get into the beginning of it
1: um so for my part I was taking my notes so I realized halfway through that I mistook something but the first thing I see is a bald Hector Elizondo. Yes. So I'm like, yes, I'm in. And then the second thing and then I look up from typing that and I thought I saw a J turn. So I was like second thing a J turn. In right. retrospect I don't think it was a J turn, it was just the car turning sideways. Um <laughs> but still, uh I had a really positive feeling. For this one. And then uh, there's a mob threat. I think I just met the Godfather. And some dramatic car action.
2: Yeah. Uh, Same here. Uh, We got the she's the prime suspect in a murder case. Uh, A red flag for us fans. We know that, oh no, Rockford doesn't want to take this because it's an open case. Um, And of course he's going to take it. Uh, It could get dangerous. We get the mob boss. The mob boss who is... Maybe a ghost? I don't know. He's very pale. I had him in my opening montage. I just wrote him down as Elric, the mob <laughs> boss. And then uh, I had car crashes. <laughs> There's car action in the opening montage. It's clearer in the episode. But yeah. like the same thing that you just said, We're, the montage just gave us the sensation mm. of car action.
1: I feel like also coming 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 back from a month, you know, a month off. Uh, right of watching the rockford files i was like yes i'm ready yes yes <laughs> i was excited to see what all goes on because i did not remember this one at all so it was nice it was fresh it felt very fresh
2: i got so excited i mean we, we could talk about this but like the answering machine message in this episode we don't normally comment on them but this one is is just perfect the maid calling is like i clean once a month but and it always looks like people are fighting in there <laughs> it was just like so good um And just put us into it.
1: 200 a Day is a 100% listener supported show, thanks to our patrons. In addition to our gratitude and editing access to our 200 Files Files spreadsheet, patrons receive exclusive episode previews and plus expenses. Our bonus just chatting podcast about media, work, and life. We expend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode. Brian Bernson has a Facebook page where he drives his Rockford tribute car to shooting locations from the show. Check out facebook.com slash Files. Join Mitch Hampton to examine all matters aesthetic at the Journey of an Esthete podcast. And Paul Townend recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color. You can find these shows wherever you get your podcasts. Dale Norwood wrote a book. It's about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy, published by the University of Chicago Press. Find Trading Freedom, How Trade with China Defined Early America, wherever good books are sold. Chuck from WhatYourReading.com. Shane Liebling has all of your online dice rolling needs sorted at his site rollforyear.party. And check out Jayadon's amazing miniature painting skills at Jayadon. In addition, thanks to Andre Apignani, Tom Clancy, Pumpkin Jabba Peachbug, Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, Dale Church, and Colleen Kelly. And finally, special appreciation for our detective-level patrons. Joe Greathead, Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenner at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira at Thermoware, Jordan Bockelman, not Brockelman) at Jordan Bockelman, Bill Anderson at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam. At Richard Haddam. If you're interested in keeping us going for as little as $1 an episode, check out patreon.com/slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. But then when the episode starts, it does not feel like a Rockford Files. So it really has a lot of noir in this one. Yeah. to the point where I was like, is this also like sleight of hand? Is this also based off of another thing? Right. There's not really a substantial entry about it in 30 years of the Rockford files. And on a brief look around, I didn't find anything. Mm-hmm. So Roy Huggins, one of his things was like he would kind of break a story in his own head. He'd like w- drive around and like record himself like talking mm-hmm. out a story or whatever. And then he would like give it to pe- to the staff to, to actually write. And a lot of the time, a lot of what he was thinking about was informed by either a story he'd done for another show that didn't end up the way he wanted it <laughs> um, or like yeah. Yeah, some kind of current event that he thought was interesting and he could hang a story on uh, that kind of stuff. So this feels a little bit to me like maybe some there was some something in the news that he was like spinning out into a story or something it could be yeah um i again on a brief look around i didn't find any particular references and it's not credited as based on anything but it does feel a little bit like it's either echoing or trying to capture something that already that's from somewhere else um, a little bit uh That combined with the noir-esque framing and kind of direction gives it a a particular flavor. Because, yeah, so this first shot is a down-the-barrel-of-the-camera look at a very sweaty, panicked man Mm -hmm. saying he can explain before he gets shot by whoever, you know, the perspective of the camera. And he falls into a lamp, which turns off, and that cuts us to black. And then we come back to a black-and-white film reel of who we soon learned to be Mitch, this fashion photographer played by Hector Elizondo and Jennifer, the uh, titular Jennifer, um, like staging her for the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Moving her around and laughing and kind of like clearly having a good time with their like work slash play. As we hear Jim voiceover explaining (laughs) the guy who got shot, his name's Ricky. Mm -hmm. There were two shots fired. One went into Ricky. The other one, either. Jennifer basically either took the shot or took the other bullet. Right. Yeah. Uh, But she's disappeared. The cops are looking for her as a suspect in Ricky's murder. And then we learn that he's in conversation with Mitch saying she can never kill anyone. Uh, She must've just been there and gotten scared and ran. And then we end with a, well, that's not what the cops think. Well, they're not always right. Well, they're not always wrong. (laughs) And then that's when we leave the visual of the black and white film to seeing Jim in an amazing red shirt under his jacket (laughs) coming into Mitch's studio to talk to him, like in to, to kind of start our episode off proper.
2: And there's, there's a bunch of things to like about this. Um, I like the killer point of view at the beginning. It's very horror movie kind Mm, of thing. mm -hmm. It feels we, we get that. And the cut to, um, Jim's voiceover with the black and white, those are two different styles that are, that they go well together and they feel like, uh like they're going to hook an audience yeah Where first season people might be at this point tuning in for the rockford files but people might just be going up and down the dial and you get this like there's an intrigue right away you're caught you're like what what is going on here what's happening you understand the stakes almost immediately uh it does a good job of like presenting the situation and establishing relationships in it uh by like having jim state the situation but the the footage is all about the relationship uh between uh, uh mitch and and jennifer and i like that i, I think it's a, a really fun way to do all this and also like i said it just it just feels more noir-y. I, I don't, I, I'm not going to have a good.
1: Yeah. I don't have a better descriptor. That's just, yeah. 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 There's, there's also something about it where it's a mystery, but it gets filled in soon enough that it doesn't leave you hanging. Cause I was kind of like, where is this conversation taking place? But yeah. then pretty quickly you you know, it, it, it becomes pretty clear that what, what's happened is that Mitch gave Jim this movie to watch because he wants Jim to get the sense of who Jennifer really was because she yeah. could never kill anyone. And seeing her in a picture doesn't tell you the whole thing. You have to see her, like, more, you know, three-dimensionally.
2: Yeah. But it's still, like, it's still presumably a uh, silent film, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's there's yeah. this interesting stuff about Mitch where he's trying to communicate what he knows and understands through this eye of a photographer or cinematographer. Yeah. Uh, and Jim is like, I'm a PI. <laughs> I'm like, this is what I know. Yeah. There, that's a great tension between the two of them.
1: Also in this opening scene, we, we, we find out their relationship. They were in Korea together. Yeah. It's a bit, uh, expositiony. It's a, it's a bit, a little you know, forced. yeah, it's a little forced. Just these first like two lines where it's like, how do you know me for 20 years and forget I hate home movies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this is the, uh, overall frame or not frame, but here's a, the thing that is important to have here. And then we'll come up again later. Mitch still has that one that he made in Korea Mm and he, and he's been wanting Jim to watch it ever since. And Jim doesn't like home movies. And he's been saying, no, I don't want to watch it three times a year. Yeah. (laughs) But Mitch dropped the movie off for Jim to get the sense of, of who Jennifer really, really is. Um, Jim doesn't deal in open cases. She's a prime suspect in a murder case. He can't help. Mitch is really hung up on her. Jim wants to know, like you've only known her for six months. Why are you, you know, why are you like this? Yeah. He doesn't use the words like, well, I'm in love with her. But like we get that feeling from how intense he is. But Jim says that like, look, if, if the cops don't find her, but you get involved, they're going to bring you in as a suspect. Yeah. The guy, Ricky, who got killed was Jennifer's boyfriend. So mm-hmm. seeing how you feel about her, jealousy, prime motive right. for murder. Uh, so Jim is having a hard, I'm not taking this case.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's an open case. I don't deal with it. It's echoes of uh, a little bit of echoes of the um, only rock and roll will never die. The uh, uh, Anthony Boyce character. But well, we just recently did this episode. You could watch that uh, and listen to it. Uh, and it'll come up with Rocky a little bit later. But Jim's got uh, no no tolerance for people's
1: rose colored
2: glasses when they they're in love mm-hmm. with someone clearly that doesn't apply to Jim.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, we have a hard cut from there to night on the highway. Someone's in a car for a second. I thought it was Jim, but then yeah, yeah it's not. Um, there's this whole little montage of night driving on the highway, tire screeching. This car starts spinning out. It hits another car. There's an explosion of flames and we have our title credits say goodbye to Jennifer over this burning car. And then the continuing credits run as we see the first responders and we very specifically see, uh, two bodies with blankets on them being taken into the ambulance. None of these are, are, uh, anyone we've met so far, but, uh, (laughs) yes, it's very dramatic. The conversation scene he
2: has with Hector feels comfortable and very Rockford filesy, but like the way this crash was filmed Mm -hmm. uh, again, feels different from the Rockford files. It feels, uh,
1: I saw a mention somewhere that it's mostly stock footage, so that's also that probably be, part of yeah. um, part of why it, it has a different feel to it. This is one of the the most prominent episodes we've had in a while of wild shifts in tone yeah. contained, I think well, generally. Yeah. But the the the, the tonal shifts, the magnitude of the shifts are very large. Yeah. So we go from from that little montage to the city morgue, a uh, mm-hmm. man in a suit. Dr. Stewart, who we shortly learn is a dentist, has come to the morgue because, so he's talking to this like morgue technician, I guess. I don't know what the title, professional titles of morgue (laughs) people are, but he heard from the news description of the crash that it might be a friend and also patient of his,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Jennifer Ryburn. So they were like, oh, maybe you can identify the body, right? Uh, And he can't because it's burned beyond recognition. So they're going to have to look for dental records. I guess the other body like the other passenger in the car the driver had picked this woman up as a hitchhiker never even learned her name and then she was doa and he died later from his injuries after giving this statement dr stewart's really shaken up uh the tech is like you know if you can go get her dental records now we can deal with this tonight and he's like
2: uh (laughs) this may be routine to you but jennifer ryburn is my patient and of that in there is i'm gonna be ill
0: All right, all right. Take it easy. Look, why don't you go home, get a good night's rest, and come back and bring the charts in the morning. She's not going to go anywhere.
2: I love this scene um, for the for what it becomes in later context. Right, he is uh, sweating it. He's just on. For me, he was just on the line between suspicious or disturbed by the events right right
1: right and he says he's nauseous like after he views the body he's like yeah he's like please like you know this might be routine to you but like which makes yeah. sense like we don't normally in our day-to-day life knock on wood we don't see lots of burned bodies there's a lot in the scene
2: that doesn't like you're like maybe you're thinking well then why is he here and, you know he's a dentist that they'll do the dental yeah
1: it's a little bit of like oh well that's awfully convenient
2: yeah and it's a little like, okay, it might be suspicious, but in the end, there's enough plausible deniability for anything. Mm-hmm. It gives you some information, uh, but it doesn't tell you the answer. I don't know. I just, I find this is like a particularly good performance, I guess. Yeah, it's what, a good performance.
1: Yeah. Um, he has this scene and then he has another scene. And in both scenes, he's great <laughs> in different ways. Yeah. yeah. So reflecting on it, it does seem like, huh, this is a weird scene. Like, what a strange thing to happen. In the moment, I was just like, "Okay, this is the this is getting us started on our story." You know, yeah, like, yeah. It's just the premise of the episode. Like, fine, it didn't it it didn't stand out to me.
2: My one of my comments was, "I hope my dentist gets this teared up." Yeah, when would yeah. I die?
1: It is a bit convenient that he is a dentist for this mm-hmm. purpose, and but anyway, whatever. It doesn't. This is not a criticism. This is just a reflection as we talk about it. I'm like, huh, okay. But it is by the law of narrative convenience. It is what we need for our story. Well, I mean, there's there's a reason why. No, there is, but that reason is itself a little contrived. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, whatever. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, Finally, we get to the trailer. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And an interesting angle on the trailer, I thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't normally have a camera this close to the front door looking in i guess is the anyways i just i remember when we got to the trailer i was like oh we normally the camera's set back more
1: i think we also are used to this the later season arrangement where there's a little more the rooms are divided off a little bit more this is still very much like it's an open space (laughs) and the front door we did the front door open that way i know yeah (laughs) but anyways yeah jim is looking for something rocky comes in straight off with the with the with the line i'm leaving (laughs) apparently his truck's on the fritz jim is theoretically working on it but he's looking throughout the entire trailer because he's uh he came in to look for a cigarette and he's having trouble finding some Mm -hmm. uh the rare rockford cigarette appearance (laughs) but he he invites rocky to stay to at least have a beer before he storms off and off, and Rocky <laughs> accepts, so we yes. get our good sight sight of the beer, <laughs> and then Rocky, I guess, is like, "Well, you know, clearly you're distracted because you're still thinking about Mitch."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Jim has filled him in on the story, and what is he doing, mooning after this woman? He's forty <laughs> forty going on fourteen. <laughs> he, he says that Rocky never saw Jim, yeah, you know, doing this. Uh, <laughs> I think he says mooning around like this. Yeah. Uh, and, and Rocky gives him a good look. <laughs> it's good. But we learn that Mitch disappeared after the news of Jennifer's death. Like, so this body's been identified by the dental records as Jennifer Ryburn. She's dead. Mm-hmm. Um and Mitch Mitch disappeared. Jim's worried about him. I think we learn later it's been like four or five days, something like that. Uh yeah. but he the phone rings, he answers the phone, and it's Mitch. Mm-hmm. And he just goes, see ya Rock. And he heads out <laughs> to go meet up with Mitch, and Rocky yells after him, "Hey, what about my truck?" <laughs> Poor, Rocky. Poor Rocky. Poor truck. We have uh, Jim and Mitch walking around uh, near the was it the Chinese Theater, Crumman? Chinese Theater. Yeah. And walking a- around, we see a, we have an establishing shot of Hollywood stars uh, in the in the
2: yeah, a Robert Young star. I don't yeah. know why it did. I I looked it up to see if there's like a significance, and doesn't seem to be just.
1: so in the ed robertson book he says um yeah that particular scene begins with a close-up of the star of actor robert young who in 1975 was one of the biggest names in television uh he was the star of the top rated marcus welby md which was a universal property so
2: that's all something you could put in the commercial for the show to convince people that robert young would be in it and little bait and switch
1: uh james garner and stephen Cannell each have a star on the walk of fame oh Nice. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I like this, this walking around. It has the same kind of energy as in the other episode where Jim and Hector walk around downtown. Like (laughs) it's a very jaunty, bantery kind of energy. They have really, they have really good chemistry. They're good. But Mitch is buying Jim a ticket to Seattle. That's where Jennifer's family is from. That's where she's from. Uh, And he, he he couldn't believe that she was dead. Mm -hmm. He went to Seattle He saw her. Uh, It's not a a face he could mistake for anyone else. He saw her outside this building, lost her when she went in, hung around for four days, didn't see her again, (laughs) and wants Jim to find her. Jim says, Mitch, according to the coroner, she's dead. And Mitch says, I don't believe that she's dead. Check with the coroner. Prove that I'm wrong. So we go to our good friend, Dennis Becker, talking to the coroner.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Good. Uh, In that previous scene, there's a great line about him not introducing her to Jim.
1: No, in the time I had with her, I didn't want to share, especially with a talent scout like you, old buddy. Listen, I want you to know it, Jim. You're going to love her. You're going to like her.
2: It's probably hard being Jim's friend. (laughs) If you're in the dating age. Right. that That can't be easy on someone.
1: So we kind of get the rundown of how this works. They... Uh, the forensic dentist mm-hmm. matches the what they have from the body with the dental records, uh, if they have them. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, they did, because her dentist brought them by. And she gives him, you know, here's the dental records, here's our workup from the forensic dentist, and see, they're exactly the same. Perfect match. A perfect match. Uh, officially, we do have to wait for the coroner's inquest. But unofficially, there's no question that it's Jennifer Ryburn. So Becker comes out first <laughs> off to tell Jim, "Has an official department car. Stop leaning. <laughs> <laughs> he's angry. He's angry because Jim has asked him to do something that, you know, embarrassed him basically. Uh, yeah. Or at least that wasn't good. Didn't go anywhere.
2: Wasted his time.
1: Dennis runs down that same information. I think there's a line there where he's like 32. There's a cap on this one and a filling on this one. And yeah. Jim says, well, that doesn't mean anything if there's nothing to compare it to. He's like, well, they do have something to compare it to. And it's a perfect match. <laughs> <So Yeah. laughs> it's his lunch hour. And so Jim is buying and Jim takes a rain check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's just like, no. <laughs> uh. And we end with a good. Uh,
0: just a minute.
2: What makes you think it wasn't Jennifer Ryburn? I never thought it wasn't. Whatever gave you that idea.
1: <laughs> we uh now go to an establishing shot here of Mitch pouring a drink and Jim coming to see him. If I didn't know that they that the show was like so written, you know, like how the, uh, they're very sticklers mm. for the script and everything, this feels like a very improvisational. Yeah. Bit, and the it's yo, so yo. funny. <laughs> yeah. Mitch, yo. Yo. That's well, one of those things I've always wanted to say. How are you, pal? What do you have? It's a little early, isn't it? No, it's got to be five o'clock somewhere. That's something else I've always wanted to say. It is both funny and revealing of their relationship mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. of the character of Mitch in these, like, four lines. <laughs> it's so good. Jim breaks the news. It's definitely Jennifer. And Mitch says, no, it's not. <laughs> She's in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. He has the plane ticket for Jim. And he has a thousand now, and more if he needs it to go find. Yeah, him.
2: this is this thousand is going to be Jim's budget for the entire, mm. the rest of the show. I made a note of it. <laughs> this is like one of the few times where Jim has probably ended up with a little extra cash at yeah. the end.
1: And Mitch is obviously, I mean, I I think in the every time there's a fashion photographer in these '70s mm-hmm. shows, they're always presented as being very successful and wealthy. I yeah. don't know if that coding still exists.
2: Partway through this episode, we get an exterior of Jim's, or of uh, Mitch's house, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's like a mansion.
2: There's pillars. There's pillars.
1: So anyway, Mitch is clearly doing fine for himself. This yeah. thousand seems like it's no big thing.
2: His walls are covered in art. Uh, a lot of it is his photography, but like, there's really interesting paintings and things like that. So yeah, it definitely codes wealthy.
1: Yeah. He would go himself, but that would be a question of luck. But Jim's trained. He does it for a living. He has a mm-hmm. better chance of success. Jim says he won't go. Mitch takes a drink, says, all right, and gets his suitcase. <laughs> I'm going to do what you won't, pal. I'm going to find Jennifer. Jim tries to stop him, and they kind of struggle over the suitcase, ending with Mitch giving him kind of a push, and he falls down. Yeah. And when he turns to help Jim up, Jim gives him this look where there's this moment of, like, is he going to take a swing? Like- right, is just... <laughs> <laughs> but he accepts the help mm-hmm. and jim offers a compromise wait a couple of days just to think everything over you have all the facts just a couple of days to think everything over and if he still thinks he's right and he still thinks jennifer is alive jim will go so he wants to just you know take a take a yeah. couple days cool down really think about this and i think there's a sense here of like because part of me is like why wouldn't jim just take the money and go and right do a do an okay job and but his heart's not really in it because he it's yeah, convince this woman's dead, and I think as part of it is like, well, because Mitch is Jim's actual friend,
2: yeah, he he's not wanna... gonna
1: take his money when he doesn't believe in, yeah, what it's for. well if it was just like a random client, I think it'd be like, sure, <laughs> I'll go look. I can't promise you, I'll find her, right?
2: Um, I feel like this, there's like a, a counterpoint to this, not a counterpoint, but a um. We see J- the other side of Jim when he starts dealing with uh, uh, Floyd Ross, right? Yes. Yeah. We're about to get to the greatest cut in cinematic history.
1: <laughs> so we cut to... Oh, my God. Okay. I'm going to send you a screenshot.
2: Oh, yeah, Okay. So you... <laughs> you too. <laughs> thought this was the best cut.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we, we cut to the interior of the trailer.
2: The bedenimed...
1: bedenimed. <laughs> we The bedenimed... Um, Rocky, and in my notes, he's capital I, capital R, Impatient Rocky. Yeah. Jim comes in from fishing. He is full khaki.
2: Oh, this, yes.
1: <laughs> he doesn't see Rocky when he comes in, I guess. He goes right to the sink. He takes this canvas bag, and then he just starts pulling this comedically large what? fish <laughs> out of the bag. <laughs> So, okay. So the cut to this scene,
2: very specifically, the camera starts on Rocky's butt, right? Like <laughs> like it's it's Rocky walking away from the camera mm-hmm. from butt level, and we're kind of following Rocky throughout this scene, and I'm I'm like, what is happening here? Jim doesn't see Rocky. Right. <laughs> like he doesn't know that Rocky's in his trailer, and just Rocky is fuming, mm-hmm. and he's like always just outside of jim's eye range while jim's clearly had a lovely day fishing
1: and has the biggest fish i've ever seen on television it's like the size of his torso
2: yeah it's just it's massive
1: it's so funny um and then he sees rocky as like oh i didn't know you were there i didn't see the truck rocky (laughs) oh didn't see the truck huh (laughs) he asked jim how much his answering machine cost Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I said, I've gotten the payments down to seventeen fifty a month. How many payments? What does it matter? Rocky's like, well, if you have this thing, why don't you use it? And then he mm-hmm. angrily hits play. And we hear a series of messages from Rocky from Harry's garage waiting for Jim to come pick him up because Harry don't give loaners. Uh. Jim's like, you just waited at Harry's stewing for three hours instead of just <laughs> paying for a cab? I did pay for a cab. It was $10. Jim says, not from Harry's. It wasn't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's great. It's It's wonderful. Jim, Rocky interact.
1: The oscillating tonal shift waves are getting, starting to get bigger, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We have that kind of serious scene with Mitch. And then we come to this. This is very funny. It's also very like, Oh, Rocky, you know? Yeah. And then we're going to go to our next scene, which is much more serious again. Uh, so anyway, to get there, Jim's like, move so I can go through my mail. <laughs> <And> Rocky's like, <laughs> I already went through it. <laughs> um, it's just bills and someone's suing you because there's a letter from a law firm.
2: Oh, Rocky's so happy about that because he's so angry.
1: Jim opens it and it is in fact a letter inquiring after his services. Mm-hmm. So he goes to this law firm where he meets Carl Burrell, who does not shake hands. <laughs> this all it needs is the venetian blind like yeah <laughs> visual effect to be from from noir it's a yeah a very intimidating man sitting behind a desk giving jim nothing to work with
2: <laughs> i'm looking looking for the actor here
1: thayer david who was he was in rocky and other than that i'm not i don't know what else he'd be recognized from
2: he's got a, a he's got some jowls some intimidating jowls <laughs>
1: He looks a little bit like whoever played Blofeld in the the early Bond movies. But yeah, he has the jowls. uh, He's very pale and he has really like big lips.
2: Yeah. And just white hair. Steve Martin here.
1: (laughs) Yes. I guess he was in two episodes of Kojak. And other than that, he's Mm -hmm. a real this kind of character player. Mm -hmm. I guess he was in Dark Shadows.
2: Clerk and Columbo
1: yes oh that is that same guy okay the credit is clerk he plays a magician oh uh that's the episode where uh with the guillotine no the one of the guillotines the, the 90s one. Oh, okay um, now this is the one where uh jack cassidy is a magician and he does a water tank illusion and during yes. it kills his kills the boss kills his boss yeah. uh part of the plot of that one is that Columbo goes to a magic shop to yes. ask about magic tricks. And so this this guy, Thayer David, is the clerk. He's also a magician at the magic shop. And he's like, yeah. Will you assist me?
0: I'd like to demonstrate this wonderful illusion.
1: It's a good bit.
2: Uh, he's delightfully intimidating here, though.
1: Yes, he is very intimidating here. He wants to know who Jim works is working for that thinks that Jennifer Ryburn is still alive. Yeah. Jim says he can't help him. He's not working for anyone. <laughs> but Brell wants information, and he's going to get it.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: And this is a really good, like, the, the vibe of this guy is carried entirely by Jim's reaction. Yeah. If, if Jim, like, blew him off and just left he wouldn't feel intimidating. Yeah. But he like gets up out of his chair and then he sits back down and he like mm-hmm. leans back. He tries to diffuse the the intensity like it's so we get the feeling that he's feeling pretty you know, he's feeling scared or at least yeah, feeling yeah. um like there is an imminent threat, I guess. Yeah. Um but he knows that Jim's been sniffing around the coroner's office and wants to know if the stiff in there isn't Jennifer <laughs> and he'll take Jim off if he doesn't get the info. <laughs> so Jim finally gives him a cover story. He's hired by some, some guy from Indianapolis who fell in love with Jennifer from a picture in a magazine and called him to check it out because he couldn't believe she was dead. You know, there's yo-yos everywhere.
2: It's a good cover. There's a little bit of truth in it.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: also, uh, he just kind of, he's like, Frawley, GW Frawley, Indianapolis. <laughs> like, yeah. like he's got a name ready to On just... On the
1: tip of his tongue, yeah.
2: Throw off, yeah.
1: So, Brel seems to accept this for now. Uh we learned that burrell is so intense about this because the guy who got killed ricky Mm -hmm. he says that jennifer killed ricky and ricky was family
0: he didn't have no family so i took him in he was like my own like my son so i hope you've been straight with me because if i find out different i'm gonna come after you with a pack of dogs
2: one of my favorite parts of the exchange is burrell saying something like i'm going to tell you something So, you know, I'm serious. And Jim going, oh, I I know you're serious. (laughs) We don't have to do that, whatever that is.
1: We go from there to Jim giving Mitch a call saying he's going to take the trip to Seattle (laughs) because he thinks he should get out of town. But there's someone new in the picture. So don't talk to anybody about Jennifer or about Jim, if anybody asks. As far as Mitch is concerned, we don't know each other. He's like, do you understand? Mitch is like, no, I don't understand. We'll understand that we don't know each other. We are going to take a little break in the middle of our episode here so that we can stretch, maybe get a beverage or a snack, and talk about the other places that you can find us on the internet. Epi, if our listeners want more Epi, where can they go to get maximum Epi?
2: You can find uh, me at my website, dig1000holes.com, that's dig1000holes.com, or You can get my Sword and Sorcery Fiction and Games at worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular. If you want to engage with me on the social medias, the best place to go right now is Mastodon at Epidiah at Dice.Camp. Nathan, if they want to get Maximum Nathan, where do they have to go for that? I should have gone Maximum Nathan.
1: Maximum Nathan can be found at my website, ndpdesign.com That's the hub for all my stuff on the internet, including all my uh, role-playing games, zines, and other podcasts. Uh, so if you're interested in pro-wrestling detectives, mm-hmm. or zines about pro-wrestling, <laughs> among other things, um, those are all at my website. It also has links to contact me in other ways. Currently, I'm still um, posting on instagram at nd Paoletta. that's where i'm posting pictures of my dog uh you can also find me at cohost cohost.org ndp that is a fun small scale social media site that i'm enjoying quite a lot
2: and now we return to the continuing adventures of jimbo rockfish there's a, a bit here where i'm i'm like okay good jim's on the case because he's 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 met with resistance He's always like, nah, I don't want to take this case for whatever reason. And then somebody's like, You shouldn't take this case. <laughs> and he's like, Okay, I'm taking this case. But actually, that's not what's happening here. And that's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. As we learn in our next scene. We're about to see the cookie jar. Yeah. It is night. There's a knock on the trailer door, and that is <laughs> never good. Um, again with the this is a very open plan version of the trailer where yeah. the camera's still in like the living area and we can i mean it's zoomed in pretty far so we spoke so we can see jim get out of bed at the back of the trailer yeah <laughs> through multiple open doorways at some point i mean i'm i'm never gonna do this but at some point it would be fun to see like a like a like an isometric map of the trailer and as it changes over like episode to episode that we see it yeah it'd be like uh Uh, well like a hexaflexigram or whatever like it like expands and then like contracts and moves and like it spins and stuff i can see that in my mind's eye
2: i feel like if we looked up doctor who we would see like the tardis i know i've watched star trek vehicle you know yeah like Spaceships over the Enterprise over the years, you know, Mm -hmm. like the different versions of it and or different Godzilla sizes, that kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah.
1: for sure. Anyway, a knock at night is never good, so Jim gets out of bed and gets his gun from the cookie jar. Mm -hmm. Love to see it. He checks, and it is in fact, it's Mitch. Yay, Mitch! Yay, Mitch! Um, He has money and a picture for Jim. (laughs) I find this really endearing. I don't know, Mitch is a like this character gets surprisingly deep in a very short amount of time in this episode Mm -hmm. for me um so he's like i stayed up all night and he took one of his pictures of jennifer from like six months ago whatever whenever the last shoot they had was and he airbrushed it so that it looks like she looks now from when he saw her in seattle Mm -hmm. her face is a little different and she's lost a little weight Mm -hmm. first of all as if that much difference is going to make it impossible to identify her. Yeah. Right. Like there's that. But it's also like a big, like glossy eight by ten. You know, he clearly used all of his professional skills uh, to do <laughs> it. It's, and he's so like, you have to have this. I don't know. There's, there's just something really endearing about it, but also a little desperate, obviously.
2: I'll tell you what's endearing about it why it sings to us. In particular, uh-huh. this is a role player who's excited about role play <laughs> and has spent the whole night drawing his character or the GM who's uh-huh. like spent the entire night working on a single handout that the players will Put look at combat
1: and, encounter terrain together yeah, painstakingly exactly. over the course of the day. Because <laughs> you got some alone time. He's excited
2: about seeing her again and he doesn't know what to do with his energy. So he just puts it into this and it's great. We know that we we felt that.
1: That's true. That's a you're not wrong. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, Jim is not sharing this excitement as he reiterates that Jennifer is dead. So why are you going to Seattle? Because I have a plane ticket and it's 1300 miles from Los Angeles. (laughs) He says that he met Carl Burrell, which sends Mitch immediately into she never should have gotten mixed up with Ricky. And Jim has this. This is a great Jim Rockford line.
0: She never should have gotten tied up with Ricky Pond. but she told me about
2: him, Mitch, that to is look- history. We're into current events.
1: Yeah, it's a good <laughs> one. So he tells Mitch about, you know, being threatened and the story he made up. And he specifically says, Burrell isn't going to be able to check that out till tomorrow. So I'm going to mm-hmm. be on the first flight, you know, out this morning. Uh, Jim, you never really planned to look for her, did you? And Jim just kind of gives him a look. Well, you're going to be in saddle anyway. You have the picture <laughs> and here's a thousand dollars. I'm an eccentric humor me (laughs) and Jim's like, okay, fine. I'll look for her. Mitch wants Jim to call him before he leaves, make sure that Jim's all right. Mm -hmm. And then he leaves on finder, Jim. I'll give you a big bonus. I'll buy you a hamburger (laughs) and Jim, not after you get my bill. Yeah. A little bit of like buddy, buddy right at the end there.
2: I I have a question here. Mm. Is Jim, and this is an open question to the audience. We don't have to answer this when jim tells them that she's dead and that he doesn't he's just trying to get out of town we could take that at face value or we could take that as jim trying to make sure he doesn't get his friend's hopes up right mm-hmm. i could see jim being like i cannot get you excited about a result that i cannot guarantee because you're clearly overly excited about this result that mm-hmm. um anyways that's i think is an open question in this uh Um, Back and forth here, because it didn't feel exactly right that Jim was going to take his money, take his plane ticket and leave town and not do any work on this case. Hmm. But that is what Jim said he was going to do. (laughs)
1: That's a good open question. My read is that he's being very straight with Mitch. Yeah. But which part of that is, I'm not going to tell you I'm going to do something that I might end up not doing, right? Because yeah, Jim yeah. doesn't know. Maybe he's going to have to leave Seattle too, right? Like yeah. his concern is not getting whacked by Burrell. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, by the Elric Godfather. Right.
1: But once Mitch calls him on it, You know, he's not going to lie and say, sure, I'll look for her. He says, no, I'm not. Like, that's not why I'm going. Uh, But the appeal to, you know, I'm an eccentric, humor me. Since you're going anyway, it's no longer you're going because I'm asking you to. Now you're taking advantage of my offer to do something you feel like you need to do. So, like, (laughs) cut me a break here. You know, at least do the other thing I asked. And once Jim says that I'll look for her, I think as an audience member, I'm like, okay, he's going to look for her. He's not lying to Mitch about about making that effort we go to jim with a suitcase he calls mitch's house it rings there's no answer we start getting the ominous feeling Mm. jim is in the firebird roaring up to mitch's place which is where we get the first exterior shot and we're like oh (laughs) yeah like Uh, hell of a place i was like is this a municipal building or is this a house like what uh there's no answer uh he picks the lock which again This isn't going to go. This isn't going to end well. (laughs) Yeah. We switch to a shot from inside where we see Jim open the door into the main room where all the camera equipment's all knocked over. So we see Jim see that and uh, the, the ominousness intensifies. Jim runs through the house yelling for Mitch. And then we see there's an armchair facing away from Jim and Mitch's arm is just on the arm of the chair. Yeah. So Jim goes around to the front and we just see from his face. No good. It's not gone well for Mitch. He does check his pulse, but Mitch is obviously dead. And this is great facial Garner acting here. Yes. As all of this, <laughs> we see it play over his face. We see him understand what happened. See his grief immediately hit him and him barely holding it together as he raises the phone to call and ask for Dennis.
2: Yeah, it's good. It's a good scene. Uh, and they take their time with it, too, I yes, think. Yeah. like they, they do a good job of like letting letting you sit in the tragedy of it.
1: Yeah jarring shift in tone we go from that to (laughs) watching becker cutting up his veal at the lunch that jim has taken him out to i I say jarring more in the again in terms of the magnitude not that the experience was particularly jarring does that make sense
2: yeah 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 and in fact jim is still in the other scene right like what's kind of interesting about this is it's meant to be jarring i mean dennis is eating veal like it's he's he's supposed we, to be We
1: we know that because he says this is the best veal in town. Uh <laughs> I got a did you
2: send me a I thing? Did. Oh, okay, that's what that nose was. <laughs> yeah. That's a good Dennis <laughs> picture.
1: <laughs> Jim isn't eating. Uh Dennis is enjoying this enormous lunch. He in fact is eating enough for both of them, as Jim says. But yeah, yeah. we're getting the, the balance here where for Dennis this is just another case. Yeah. It's just another thing that Jim's asking him to do. For Jim, this is a personal tragedy. So, like, we have to see those... Uh, we see those two currents kind of running together here. Yeah. Becker says that they can't pick up Burrell until they have something to go on. Jim explains they must have had Jim's place staked out, picked up Mitch when he went to visit him, tried to beat some answers out of him, and he ended up dead. Dennis, what if Jennifer Ryburn is alive? Before that can go any further, the, the waiter brings uh, over uh, the phone okay. because... Jim is getting a call that was originally called into his trailer where Rocky answered and redirected it to the restaurant. <laughs> Which is a, a, lot of, a lot of scaffolding to get to this to this uh, bit where it's a call from uh, Dr. Stewart's office, <laughs> the, the dentist that we've already met. Jim tries to wave it off like, oh, I'll call back. And it's like, no, answer it. And the de- <laughs> dentist ends up answering it for him. <laughs> He's right here. Dr. Stewart's office for you (laughs) because we have to see Jim kind of sheepishly follow up on the line that he's running (laughs) with this dental office to get to see this doctor. It's where he's good. claiming he's on vacation from Florida and <laughs> bitten to an olive pit and he wants to get his crown looked at or he wants to get his bridge work looked at so he establishes that he's going to come by at 630 he has meetings all day, can he do it in the evening? he'll come by at 630 he, he hangs up
2: he, uh, he has an excellent reputation you hear about him all the way back home in Florida? well you have to be inventive, uh, you know how hard it is to get an appointment but you do this all the time no not
1: all the time <laughs> <laughs> dennis recognizing how jim operates but giving him a little bit of a of a rib because you know he's not supposed to do that mm-hmm. he does ask to see jim's bridge work and jim says i have 32 like everybody else then we have a slow zoom in on Jim's face yeah. that triggers something. He realizes something. There's something there about 32 teeth. There was a detail earlier when he talked to the, um, coroner, you know, 32 teeth, something, something, yeah. something. And I didn't note it then. Uh, but clearly this is, there's something there where Jim's like 32 teeth.
2: Yeah. Dennis relays that from the coroner to, to Jim. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in the scene where Dennis has to, <laughs> uh, Is upset that it doesn't pan out. But um, this is an oddity in the Rockford Files. We don't often see the...
1: The sudden realization.
2: Yeah, like, this is... There's a lot of shows out there that, like, this is a part of the formula, right? Like, Mm -hmm. a lot of detective shows where it's the, oh, that one piece that that puts it all together.
1: I feel like uh uh Midsummer Murders has a lot of that.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that's not part of the Rockford uh formula. It does happen sometimes, but I think part of that is just cuz a lot of times a Rockford mystery is not like what what's going on, although that does happen, but it's like how does Rockford get everyone out of this trouble?
1: Right. So what is about to happen is this entire thing is going to hinge on something that Jim knows that we do not know and could yeah. have had no way of knowing. Yeah, exactly. So it has to be given to us expositionally. Yeah. A lot of the time, that's not the kind of thing that the plot hinges on. It's either something that Jim, we've already seen and now Jim's putting together, yeah. or Jim explains the situation for someone else to and gives us all the little pieces that, that come together. So yeah, it is, is unusual. The other the only other moment like this that comes to mind is actually from I'm pretty sure it's from Sleight of Hand, where Jim's fixing the light bulb for Rocky and is talking to Rocky. Yeah, there's like a beat and then the light bulb turns on over Jim's head or maybe it's <laughs> yeah. over Rocky's head. I don't remember, yeah. but there's a, literally a light bulb over someone's head that turns on <laughs> to indicate that some connection has been made. As, yeah. You know, again, first season very noir influenced. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we'll learn, we'll learn what he realized in a little bit, but yeah, there's clearly like, Oh, he knows something. And so I was like, should I rewind and see what that detail was? And I was like, no, the show's going to tell us like, I'm yeah, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> It wouldn't have helped anyway. Uh, we go to see two goons, two real good goons. Yeah. <laughs> so Burrell has one scene and these two goons have this one scene. And between the three of them, I'm like, they are good goons. They're good goons. But yeah, between just these brief appearances, I'm like, this criminal enterprise is one of the most threatening that we've seen. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so these two goons have the dentist's office staked out. They've counted all the staff leaving. And they have a little bit of banter about whether they should go in, what well, there's a patient in there. Well, you think there's a patient in there? <laughs> I forget what he says, but he's like, what do you think I'm a moron or something? Uh, that guy's death was a mistake. I hit a lot of guys harder than that and they don't die on me. <laughs> well, Burrell doesn't like mistakes, so I'm going to yeah. handle this one. And then they go in. Um, cut to Jim arriving at the doctor's office with jaunty <laughs> harmonica. <laughs> Which slowly changes to mournful guitar as Jim comes in and looks around the place looking for Dr. Stewart and there's no answer. And then from behind him, don't move. Or I'm going to kill you. And then the camera switches and shows us Dr. Stewart. He's all beat up. He has blood on his face and across his shirt and he's holding a gun. <laughs> uh, it is unexpected and pretty amazing. Also because he's yeah. really scrawny and Jim's so big. Yeah, the framing is very um, memorable.
2: I really enjoy how Jim handles this scene. Like, this is a good, good moment. It's not one of those goons that has a gun on him, so he's not looking for that opportunity to open a car door on them or sucker punch him or something like that. What he's he's got to talk this guy out of shooting him, and uh, the way he handles it is
1: really good. Yeah, he's very straightforward. Uh, you know, they ask Stewart, asks who he is, and he's like. I'm Jim Rockford. I had an appointment to come by at 630. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to hurt you. If you're worried about that, call the police. I won't try to stop you. Yeah. Yeah. I am a PI. I have ID. He, so he has his hands up, right? He's like, I yeah. have ID. It's in my pocket. I can reach it with my left hand. And I mm-hmm. was like, okay, get it slowly. So Jim hasn't <laughs> seen him yet. So Jim hasn't seen how beat up he is also. But once he turns and give him the ID, he does kind of see. And once Stuart sees the ID, he relaxes and just, like, collapses into a chair. Yeah. I could have killed you. Jim says, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that's not in question. <laughs> so one read of this that I was kind of anticipating was after they're going to have a little bit of conversation and then and then Stuart like goes back into his office for a second and i really thought that we were going to like follow him and like see the goons on the floor right like yeah. that he had taken <laughs> them out and this was his him from the struggle yeah Uh, i think what we end up learning is that they they beat him up and this is the Mm -hmm. aftermath and he's so frightened that he's yeah he 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 pulled the gun on jim but for a good three quarters of the scene i was like did this (laughs) dentist just take out these two goons (laughs) because i don't believe it he looks
0: crazed Yeah. yeah
1: but no that is not what happened uh these two goons asked him a lot of questions asked him about jennifer jim asked did you tell them anything and there's no reply to that yeah he tells Stuart to call the police. And Stuart says, no, I'll handle it my way. Handling it your way, your way. We'll get Jennifer killed. Mm-hmm. And Stuart says, Jennifer is dead. And this is where we get Jim's realization. He used to date a model, apparently. Yeah. And they got into some hell of an argument about her getting her back teeth pulled to get that gaunt look. She got <laughs> it. And Jennifer had it, too. But the body in the morgue had 32 teeth. Mm -hmm. Um, I can take this information to the police and you can talk to them. Stuart gives him a look and it's just like, and kind of relaxes a little more and has this like dawning realization. You're here to help Jennifer out. Yeah. (laughs) So the story is this doctor, this dentist has known her since she arrived in LA. They became friends after Ricky was murdered. She came to him terrified, said she had to disappear and that wherever I could bury her to do it. So she got out of town. He heard about the accident on the freeway and it was a perfect opportunity. Anonymous girl. Yeah. Body burnt. So after he went and saw the body, he faked dental records to match the what he saw, I guess. Um so that they would identify it as Jennifer.
2: This explains everything about that early scene, like why he was there,
1: mm-hmm.
2: why he was acting the way he was acting. Uh,
1: why he was like,
2: I can't do it tonight. Yeah, because he needs time to falsify the records. Uh, this is this man uh, is going way out on a limb mm-hmm. for Jennifer. Not the only man who's gone way out on a limb for Jennifer, as, as we've seen.
1: Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so as far as he knows, Jennifer is still alive but I don't know where she is. And Jim says, I do. So we have some, a bit of a triumphal sting uh, over some stock footage of the plane taking off, coming it's, to SeaTac. It's, yeah, it's got this nice bass
2: intro to travel music. Yeah, it was a fun a musical moment in the Rockford Files.
1: Jim wears an overcoat, arrives at the, uh, the Puget building, <laughs> and then there's thunder and it starts to rain because Seattle... <laughs>
2: It's great seeing Jim in a warm coat. We like that's just not a thing. We he's got a suit jacket on most of the time or a mm. blazer or whatever it's called. Yeah, sport coat, sport coat, sport coat, sport coat's the answer. Uh, but this is the first time we've seen him in anything
1: heavy, warmer than that. That's true. There's no winter in LA, so yeah. And I think we, we can see so this episode airs in uh January, I think. Uh, February, yeah, but there's Christmas decorations. Yeah, so there's Christmas decorations and stuff in the windows, which is nice. Yeah, I just think is you know like oh, it's in Seattle, it's starting to rain, <laughs> um, which is very funny to me as now a a Pacific Northwesterner. Yeah, um, <laughs> where it's been like drought conditions for like two years. We actually started getting a lot of rain right as the fall started, which was nice. But uh, anyhow,
2: not New York rain. N-
1: no, no flash floods.
2: No, yeah, not buried under six inches in one night.
1: Uh, yeah, Oof. Anyhow. Um Jim goes to Floyd Ross Private mm. Investigation.
2: So here we go. This is this is um scene, right? It's raining. Mm-hmm. Jim's got his you know coat turned up to the rain. He's knocking on the window. And it
1: has the window graphic of the like eye.
2: Yeah. This feels so like a noir set.
1: Yeah, yeah. If this was in black and white, it would just yeah. seamlessly yeah. fit into, like, post Band is rings twice kind of-esque yeah. kind of thing. Or uh, double indemnity, probably, more than, than that. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Floyd Ross, private investigator, is, as we have mentioned... Ken, mm-hmm. our good friend, Ken Swafford, wearing, I note, the same costume as every other role he's been in. <laughs> like, <laughs> the wardrobe's got it ready for you. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a light blue button-up shirt, un- unbuttoned at the collar, and, like, khakis. Like, that's what he wears pretty much in every episode I've seen him in. Um, he So Jim comes in on, you buying or selling? I'm buying. Come on in. This was a misdirect for me. Jim takes off his coat. And he's wearing a red turtleneck. Mm-hmm. And his hair is kind of slicked down because of the rain. And he says, I picked you out of the phone book. A discreet service at discreet price. How discreet. So I thought that Jim was going to run a con on this guy. And yeah. be like, I'm a fashion photographer. I'm looking for my model or something. Because, yeah. like, why else would he wear a turtleneck? But I think it's just he's supposed to be wearing it because it's cold.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we just don't normally see him in a coat <laughs> and turtleneck. That's yeah. just what he wear. If he went to Wisconsin, that's what
1: he'd wear. <laughs> exactly. So, yes.
2: Why me? Well, it's a discreet service at discreet prices. How discreet? 150 a day, expenses. All right, what do you charge? 125 I guess we could split the difference. Professional courtesy? I said sit down. That's professional courtesy.
1: <laughs> the going rate in Seattle is $175. Mm-hmm. So you're already getting a deal, buddy. Yeah. It's very good.
2: It's a really fun negotiation and also a prelude to our next uh, podcast huh. 150 a day <laughs> expenses
1: drug <laughs> expenses this is implied in some other episodes too but i love i love this kind of implication that jim views himself as a higher end investigator. Yeah. He doesn't take certain kinds of cases, he charges apparently more than other people. Apparently the going rate in yeah. LA is maybe it's higher than Seattle, but also like he he views himself as like more uh premium than your one yeah. of the mill uh Floyd Rosses of the of the world.
2: Feels like Floyd pegged him immediately. Like yeah. when he said buying or selling, mm-hmm. like he's like your P.I.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: What, you know, what's going on here?
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, well, Jim has come to him because he wants him to find someone. You know, he's not in his area, so he needs some help. I know you are going to be tracking this from here on out, but they meet They meet up, yes. I guess, the next day at the Puget Building. I guess Jim wanted to get a copy of the photo made, so it was a rush job from, like, a guy he knows. So it cost 25 yeah. bucks.
2: <laughs> Just a reminder ballpark, multiply it by five.
1: I think this has come up, but has our rule of thumb changed since for oh, of the last two years?
2: What are we? We're at 75 right now.
1: Well, this is 74. No. Yeah. 75.
2: It's almost $6. Now it's $5 and 70 cents. 25 in 1975
1: is 142 and change. Yeah. So, so five times, but round up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Instead it's, uh, of five
1: times and round down, which I think it used, used to be.
2: I mean, by the time you're listening to this podcast, multiply it by six.
1: <laughs> so we, we date our show to 2017. So yeah, when we started the show, this $25 was 114 in in 2017 dollars. Yeah. And now it's 142 Yeah. So that shows you how the last couple of years have been. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I mean, inflation is a broad, not to get too much into the the weeds here, but Mm. it's a a broad measure. Clearly, um, some
1: things inflate more than others. Yeah,
2: Like getting a copy of a photo, you wouldn't get a photo, you get a photocopy. Yeah. Now in today, money probably was a a lot cheaper accounting for inflation than it would have been back then, right? Like it it, it still would have cost money to like get a photo redone based on a photo, but not this much like yeah. this is this
1: is he's he's a uh, he's pocketing some of this <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think we get that uh that that mm-hmm. feeling for sure but yeah so the deal is so it's a big building they just take a copy of the photo ross is gonna start at this level and go down jim's gonna start at this level and go up they're gonna
2: mm-hmm.
1: just ask everyone who works there if they've seen her yeah and he gives them some some, some uh advice he's like make friends with the security guy it, can, it can't <laughs> hurt
2: and ross is like that's gonna take a little money like everything is is taking money from him yeah
1: and we have a little montage of both of them asking around and not getting any results we do see uh ross slipping the parking lot guy some cash so (laughs) there are some (laughs) some bribes Some some palms getting greased
2: good good shoe leather with no return
1: no return yeah. yeah yeah so they yeah they come together that night They didn't turn up anything. She doesn't work in that building. She doesn't seem to do business there. So the line here is, chances are it's a bank. I was, maybe just because in our modern world, I'm like, "What? what? Um... I guess, like, there's a bank there?
2: Yeah, and, I think there's a bank in the building.
1: And maybe she's going there to deposit her yeah. paycheck?
2: Yeah. I think what the what the thread that they're following is where Mitch may have seen her last. Right. They wouldn't know why she would be in that building. Maybe she worked in that building, maybe. But in the end, he's like, there's a bank in that building. It's it's probably the bank then. Yeah. Like, of all the places...
1: Just the way that the the line was delivered, I was a little yeah. confused about like. And now there's a bank, but they mean, in that building, yeah. There's great business here. Where while they talk, where Ross asks him if he wants some wants coffee, he's like, "What does it cost? Anything?" It's like, oh, no, that's yeah. on the house." Yeah, I want <laughs> I want a cup. The only mug he has has pencils <laughs> in it, so he empties the the pencils out of this mug to give Jim a cup of coffee. Oh, so good. And then we see and he's given Jim his expense sheet and we see Jim like <laughs> physically pained counting out cash. <laughs> oh it's, it's very good. So Jim
2: is probably working off the thousand dollars that Mitch gave him. One it's imagines. Un- unsure if Mitch gave him more than that. He he keeps offering the thousand, but I think it's the same thousand. I don't think, I think Jim it's the same takes thousand. it until the second time.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then whether his ticket was separate or came out of it is also up in the air. Yeah. Because he offered him a ticket, but then he probably didn't take that first flight because, you know, he went and talked to to Dennis and everything. So, yeah. Anyway, Jim's going to stake out the bank. Ross says, well, it's a two man job. (laughs) You're going to need help. Not 125 plus expenses. I don't. (laughs) How are you going to stake it out? Five hours a day and eight on Fridays. Oh, bank hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, most people get paid on the 1st and the 15th. So on the 15th, I'll be waiting.
2: Yeah. Work smart, work lazy.
1: That's right. Work smarter, not harder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We go to Jim staking out the building in a bright yellow two-door. Um, <laughs> and sure enough, we see Jennifer in quite the fashionable, swoopy yeah. jacket. <laughs> so we see him kind of clock her and then follow her as she drives out in a white station wagon and he follows her to Simon Says a general store he, he kind of uh, hangs out outside the window to see what happens and apparently she works there she just goes in and goes behind the counter and you know
2: that's yeah apparently what's going on the music here had me for just a moment going wait is Jim falling in love with her it was like <laughs> a little bit of a romantic hint to it but that is not the-
1: no um, we go to night where Jim waits for her to leave, uh, follows her back to, you know, where she's going to park for her, uh, wherever she lives. There is this moment where the yellow car looked green in the lighting. And I was like, did just yes. switch cars? Like just <laughs> I the same, thought. just in case or something, but, uh, it's just the lighting.
2: There's a nice bit here where her first line in the whole thing is okay. Bye. And I yeah. thought for a brief <laughs> moment, it was. Just a great joke with the title, but it's not like, mm. you know, the the really bad dad joke is like, say goodbye, Jennifer. Bye, Jennifer. You know, like the, or, you know, that. Oh, thing. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
1: yeah. Jim parks on her street and then comes up to her as she's going up her steps. Hello, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> he says he's a friend of Mitch. Uh, Mitch, how do you know Mitch from Korea? What outfit? So she kind of asks him like, a, yeah. A question to um, verify, but she's willing to talk inside. So, Jennifer, I suppose we probably should mention
2: Pamela Hensley.
1: It's played by Pamela Hensley. Um, only Rockford Files' appearance, but.
2: uh, Oh, that's why I recognize her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I bet you would recognize her from, if nothing else, she was Princess Ardala. Is it Ardala? Yes. Ardala? Yeah. In Buck Rogers in the 25th Century.
2: Yeah, when we were when I was watching it, I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna look her up because I know I know this woman." And
1: yeah, <laughs> oh, and she was on Marcus Well, MD as as previously uh, <laughs> uh, mentioned in this episode.
2: She's pretty iconic in that Buck
1: Rogers, and she was apparently a model before she started acting. So, yeah, you know, well cast. She's very attractive, and that is what she is known for. Yeah, and she was in Rollerball. Yes. <laughs> But this is, you know, for someone who we're just going to see at the very end of this episode, (laughs) uh, she has a hell of a role. Yeah. All right. So inside Jim and Jennifer finally talking. Mm -hmm. She knows that Mitch is trying to help, but he isn't helping. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want to be found. Mm -hmm. Jim tells her that Mitch is dead. Burrell had him worked over. And her first response is, you know, oh, no. And then do you think he might have told them where she was? Yeah. And then there's a beat. And and Jim says, what do you think? And she says, no, he would never. She's sorry about Mitch. She's going to like another room. She's going to like, I think she's taking her shoes off or something. I don't know. She's going into another room, which I only mentioned because Jim, so Jim says Mitch was in love with her. And there's this great framing of this shot as she replies.
2: Well, that doesn't seem to be a particularly safe thing to be, does it? Yeah,
1: (laughs) she's kind of just slightly off center at the back, you know, kind of all the way upstage, if you will. But she kind of turns and does like a full, I don't know, a a full face towards the camera to deliver the line. There's something about the framing that struck me. Uh, Yeah, good stuff. Mitch is dead because Burrell's goons got too enthusiastic. But Ricky is dead because someone murdered him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He can't help her if he doesn't know the truth. And she says that it was Burrell. He killed Ricky and he tried to kill Jennifer. But it was dark, and she got away. Why would he do that? It's something to do with business. He found out that Ricky was double-crossing him, and he felt betrayed. Jim says that he's going to charter a plane to leave tonight. He'll phone ahead. The cops will take her into protective custody when they land. When she gives her statement against Burrell, she'll be safe.
2: Here's Jim's quandary, right? Um, he doesn't know who to trust here—the mm-hmm. mob boss or the model. <laughs> because mm-hmm. uh, they have competing tales about what happened. Her response to Mitch being dead is not terribly heartbroken, mm-hmm. but that can be understandable. She's scared.
1: It's also not beyond the pale that Mitch felt much more strongly about her than she felt about him. Yeah. Like that yeah. seems like a reasonable thing to be true. Uh,
2: so what Jim's doing right now, he's he's making a play to see how she reacts to something right to satisfy his curiosity about what actually happened there can he trust her that kind of thing
1: and here i'm just like i'm just along for the ride i'm like i don't know yeah. where this is going <laughs> i guess i'm just going to see how this plays out
2: jim talks about having like a, a private plane service or something like that and I'm like, so
1: what? <laughs> yeah he says he's going to charter a plane um yeah and so when he says that that you know She'll be safe. And she starts to kinda of panic and she's like, I won't go mm-hmm. back. Um, I I can't go back. Bro will have me killed. And then she changes to I won't go back. Yeah. And Jim picks up the phone. I'm gonna you know, call the charter service, and there's a beat, and she goes, Will you force me to go? And Jim, if I have to, go pack. Yeah. She she leaves, you know, in a huff to go pack. Jim picks up the phone, dials, and he says, Whoever charter whoever I have an account with you people and I need a blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Jim has an account with a car charter service. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening here? What's going on? On the one hand, no, you don't. But on the other hand, I'm kind of like, you know what? I could see like some, just like some, some deal where it's like, he doesn't need it often, (laughs) but when he does. Yeah. So he calls to schedule this and then he puts the phone down and we hear the other end of the phone and it's the dial dial the time yeah service so he has just done this for her benefit and i'm like oh, okay so now he's trying to see what she's going to do i get the feeling that he's just throwing this out there just to see what how she's going to jump so he peeks into her room and we see that she's getting a gun out of her drawer <laughs> jim steps in and says jennifer like kind of in a tone of disappointed and she turns and shoots and there's this <laughs> the the shot uh sound the 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 effect is like really yeah exaggerated it kind of echoes jennifer clearly meant to really stand out because she does in fact shoot jim jim does get shot in the leg and she yeah. runs out of the room yes
2: yeah, it's, it's not even like an echo it's like they just repeat it several times yeah not I, because she shot several times but for cinematic effect
1: which I think makes sense because it's again Jim doesn't get shot very much. It nope. really uh, stands out as a as a piece of the show. We keep with him as he does a quick a quick tourniquet on his leg <laughs> yes. um, and stumbles out of the apartment in time to see her driving away. So he's able to get into his car in time to pursue. I am now trying to remember. I think he does get shot in the right Right
2: leg leg. i'm thinking it's right but i can't remember or does he
1: get shot in the left i guess it doesn't matter because he's probably driving he needs both feet yeah i'm trying to think what would be worse to drive with yeah (laughs) when you need to clutch yeah probably the clutching leg would be worse
2: i I I would think so hard to say you can do gas pedal with just the
1: just the one foot
2: ankle movement you know yeah but who knows
1: i don't know it's bad either way
2: yeah but the chase is a good screechy chase. It is real lots screechy. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I kind of just went like, well, it's real screechy. There's lots of horns, uh, lots yeah. <laughs> of honking. And uh, was there anything that stood out about it for you?
2: I was trying to think if it like mirrored maybe a little bit of the car wreck from the beginning, but there's no reason for it to. Yeah, um, not really. There's a point where she stops and Jim stops and gets out and then gets she gets back in and he gets back in and they take off again, yeah. which I like. You know, I like when chases are a little bit like, are we doing this? No, not this way.
1: (laughs) It is a very uh, down, I was going to say like down to earth chase. Like it's a very realistic chase. Like there's lots of traffic on the streets. She's just, she's panicked. She's just kind of going where she can go. Yeah. He's chasing her as best he can. And there's just like lots of near misses and haunts and stuff like that.
2: Uh, She still has a gun. Mm -hmm. And that I think, leads to maybe the important part of all this. <laughs> right.
1: So Jim manages to to speed up and run her off the road into come some construction. There's some, like, sidewalk construction. Then he manages to, yeah. to run her into uh, to, to stop her car. She gets out and starts taking shots at him with the gun. So I think there's a little bit of, like, she panicked and didn't mean to shoot him or something. Yeah. But now she's, like, definitely shooting at him with her. Yeah. <laughs> and screaming, I'll kill you. I will. Um... Jim is ducking behind the car.
2: I mean, this is enough for me to go, what is your plan, Jim? Like, <laughs> why are you here? Why are you doing any of this? Yeah. Like, this is yeah. your life. Not in a criticism of the show, mm. but as a, like a criticism of Jim's choices of the last <laughs> out. <hour>. Like,
1: <laughs> there's a little bit of like, now that he's in this deep, he can't let it go. Yeah. Like, he couldn't exactly. just let her leave. Yeah. And just be like, that's it. Fine. But, uh, He's mad, I think. Uh, And I think he's also invested in like doing it for Mitch, like finding out what actually happened kind of on that account.
2: There's a a little bit of um, hard love here because if he brings her into the police, she's a murderer Hmm. and and wanted for murder. But it's better if he brings her to the police than if uh, Burrell finds her. Sure. Yeah she's in a bad situation and there's no good way out. And Jim is going to do the tough love thing. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. Like this is slightly better for you. Yeah. That said, she is shooting at him and screaming (laughs) that she's going to kill him. Uh, but Jim does count out counts the shots. And Mm -hmm. after that, the fifth shot, you're out of bullets. There's one in the apartment and that was five. (laughs) And she yells again, I can't go back to LA. And Jim says, because you murdered Ricky. Yeah. And she says no. And Jim, well, the ballistics will check that gun, see if it's the murder weapon.
0: It was an accident. I didn't, I, I didn't mean to murder him. I was trying to frighten
2: him. He was seeing somebody else. And he was going to leave me. He used people. Oh, and you wouldn't know anything about using people, would you? There's a doctor going to lose his license. Mitch is dead. When I told you that, all you wanted to know was, did he talk first? You wanted to know if you were in trouble. Lady, you put a high price on yourself.
1: This is some of the Jim moralism, right, that yeah. that we also see come in varying amounts over the course of the show.
2: It's also classic noir, right? Like, she's a femme fatale, mm. for better or for worse. That's the trope that she's playing into here, yeah?
1: We have the sirens rising as she continues. She's, she's now crying and kind of trying all these different tactics to get Jim to help her. Yeah. Including, Mitch wanted you to help me. Can't you help me? Yeah. <laughs> and he ends this with... Uh, Your lawyer can call me as a character witness. (laughs) So we go from there. Presumably justice is served. Um, And (laughs) we end our episode back at Mitch's place where Becker also in an incredible red shirt. This is a good (laughs) episode for men wearing red button up shirts. This one is so bright. It's (laughs) quite the quite the look. Anyway, he's helping Jim like pack some some of Mitch's stuff. Uh it's his day off, but he owes Jim one between bringing in Jennifer and the two goons that killed Mitch. Mm-hmm. Becker's looking good at the department. He's up for a commendation. Mm-hmm. Jim tells Becker he can go. He's Jim's going to stay and finish up a couple things. He's going to do something that he's put off for about 20 years. And he sets up the projector and he puts in that home movie that Mitch made in Korea. Mm -hmm. And we end our episode as Jim watches this, you know, it's cheesy, cheesy stuff. Two guys, goofing off. They're wearing hats. So we can't, we can't quite tell how old they are. Um, (laughs) They're, they're throwing a chucking a football around, whatever. And then we end our episode with a freeze frame on our young Jim and Mitch looking into the camera, Jim making a silly face. Ironically, given how things have turned out for him and his uh, buddy from Korea. Yeah. Yay. Hey. That was a good episode. It was a good episode. I I wouldn't say that I wasn't expecting, like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. They're all good episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of expecting, I was like, oh, season one episode. Mm-hmm. Um, It's probably fairly straightforward. Yeah, yeah. Missing woman kind of thing, and that is not what it was at all. No. <laughs> uh, so that was a nice surprise. it was about halfway through it and going like, okay, this is moving along, you know, pretty pretty snappy. And then like the second half is like has twice as much stuff in it as the first half, <laughs> mm-hmm. in a good way. Yes. In a good way. <laughs> uh, so it, it felt it ended up feeling surprisingly complex from what I kind of thought I was getting into.
2: Yeah, it, it, it was like, oh, there's not much of a mystery here. And then as you're watching it, you're like, well, what about this part? What about this part? And then that gets tied up um, in a bit of a classic Rockford Files, let me chat with my friends at the end and yeah. just explain to the audience. But um, not entirely. I do like that there's certain points in the beginning that the end, you know, like, I love the resolution of the dentist because mm-hmm. That scene is weird. You're like, what? what's going on here? And then, uh, oh, right. He's been he's been pressured in, not pressured, not seduced somewhere between the two (laughs) into uh, doing this. And he's not comfortable doing it, but he's also going to do it. And as Jim points out, that's it for for his career, right? Like this is Mm. he's going to get in trouble for falsifying these dental records. And that's
1: clearly a breach of ethics. And
2: yeah, yeah. Um yeah no it's good i uh kept me captivated i liked the the directing style mm-hmm. um it, it definitely felt more like a in oh, sorry in the beginning it definitely felt more like a uh i don't not mystery movie of the week but like
1: it it felt less like a now we're watching the rockford files and yeah. more like huh so this is what they're doing with the rockford files yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a kind of a I think overall, there's a bit of a grittiness to this one that isn't necessarily in all of them, mainly because yeah. sometimes the, when there's more comedy, it kind of, you know, yeah, pulls over some of that stuff. Um, Less of the swing. Yeah, but like so big swings, but again, like in a good way, like well handled. Yeah. yeah, I think all the emotional beats land. I think the performances are really good throughout. Yeah, Mitch is great. Burrell is great. Um, yeah. Jennifer's very, very good. Uh, Floyd <laughs> <laughs> Floyd's great. Again, he's kind of just Ken Swafford. Like yeah. <laughs> something about like a lot of his characters are kind of the same person also, which is he started out in Seattle as his PI. Then he goes to the DEA. Then he becomes an FBI agent. It's like, yeah, yeah that's kind of all the same guy. Um, but I like that guy. So yeah, you know, nothing wrong there.
2: Good, uh, core cast bits, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Rocky, jim over the repair of the truck bit is good mm-hmm. the jim and dennis uh dennis like helping out with this case but everything about it is how it either helps or inconvenience dennis yeah
1: yeah we get an enormous fish
2: yes <laughs>
1: <laughs> i feel like this is one of those that i'll next whenever we do a revisit of something that includes this one i'll be like mm-hmm. oh yeah that one was really good Yeah, you know, uh, (laughs) feels like a a, a strong contender for for memorable episode over the long term. So, uh, yeah. So I feel like that was a good pick.
2: Yay. Yay. I did it. You did it. Pick picked the right one.
1: (laughs) You picked the right one. Good job, Epi. Hopefully the next one will also be the right one. But yeah, maybe we'll uh, we'll finish the Jackie Cooper episodes. Maybe that might be a nice way to pick our next one or two. Because I don't know if there's, I think we've done all the ones he was in. There might be one more he was in. And then there's certainly the one that he directed that we haven't scene which is another one with a woman's name in it, so <laughs> also fits. that like this cycle <laughs>
2: sounds good.
1: All right. Well, thanks for your patience as we took our impromptu month off. Uh, appreciate staying subscribed. <laughs> we're, we're we're close. We yeah. will continue doing the show until we're all out of Rockford. So <laughs> you know, just stay with us. Um, now, now that I'm up in the Seattle area, I guess my going rate is 175 a day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Instead of 200 for the day. But uh, I think that all said.
2: It's time to say goodbye to Jennifer.
1: It is time to say goodbye to Jennifer. And uh, we will be back next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files. (laughs)